So I have a dog, and some of you have met my dog, and if you've met my dog, you know that my dog has issues. In fact, he has issues that are strong enough that we actually, several years ago, took him to dog counseling. And I'm not sure if there's actually such a thing, but we were trying to work through some of those issues in his life. But his issues revolve around fear. And he is a fear-based dog, and that's what they told us when we took him to the to the training center there. But the question is why? Because if you've ever met my dog, you also know this. He's a German Shepherd mix. He's about 60 pounds of lean muscle. And he has like teeth, like, you know, Little Red Riding Hood, um, the wolf. In fact, when you take him for a walk when he was younger, kids would look at him and go, oh, look at the coyote. And so he's this ferocious looking thing. And, and literally, he could rip you to shreds if he decided he wanted to do it. But I mean, he's got other attributes as well. I mean, he's a good-looking dog. I've had so many people say, hey, that's a really good-looking dog. I think maybe they were just trying to make sure they didn't make him mad. I'm not sure. But uh, he's a good-looking dog. He's really smart. He actually has a working vocabulary, I think this is impressive, of probably 25 to 30 words that he knows. And it's not that we've, like, taught him all these things. He just, like, listens and picks up on them. And so he's super smart, kind of stubborn that goes with that. But he's also got other attributes. He doesn't climb on furniture. Like, if you come in our house, he won't jump on you. He just kind of walks over to you calmly. And uh, and he thinks I'm the greatest. So this is a dog that's got a lot going for him, obviously. So why is he so scared and why is he so fearful? I don't know the answer to that. But he doesn't really know who he is. He doesn't recognize his own strength or, or everything that he's got going for him. And so anytime that he feels threatened, you know what he does? Well, he goes into like... <sighs> Attack mode. And he starts barking and, and, uh, and, and starts kind of growling and sometimes bears his teeth. And then he's got this unique thing that he can do. Like he's got like a three inch stripe down his back that he can make that hair stand up. And so you, you know, you'll hear him outside barking or whatever else like that at what? You know, probably like a little chipmunk or something. But he comes in the house and his hair is all standing on end. And they're like, oh, you know, Max has been out there scared of something, but trying to frighten whatever it is off. But fear is not just a dog emotion. It's a human emotion as well. In fact, a lot of us deal with this emotion of fear, and we deal with it at a soul level as well. Now, it's not typically terror, and it's not like we need to turn and run, but we experience it more in the, in the ideas of anxiety. In fact, they tell us that about 40 million Americans suffer with some type of uh, anxiety issue. That's about 18% of our population, this is adult population. About of that 18%, about a third of them actually seek treatment for anxiety, either through counseling or through medications. So it's a huge issue that we see in our world today. And if you're dealing with anxiety this morning in this room, you have a lot of company in this room. And it's a huge issue, but there's another issue, too, that maybe is your issue if it's not anxiety. It's the issue of insecurity. And most of us deal with this on some level. In fact, I could ask you, how many of you struggle with insecurity to raise your hands? And some would, and some of you would think, I don't think I'm going to raise my hand because they might see me, right? And then I might look bad. And so we deal with this idea of insecurity. 
But if we know that we're struggling with anxiety, and many of us are, and if we're just struggling with insecurity, and most of us are, it makes it easier to ask the question that we've been asking every single week, which is what? How is it with your soul today? Because if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with insecurity, I can answer for you. Your soul is not in a good place. Because insecurity puts us in an unhealthy condition. In fear and anxiety, it actually eats away at us on the inside. Have you noticed that? It can actually make you like sick to your stomach. And where you're like, eh, we feel it in the gut. So how do we deal with it? Well, most of us deal with it like my dog deals with it. And we assume one of two different postures. And let me just point out what those postures are this morning. And you might actually see yourself in one of these postures. The first posture is this. We almost like move into the old Muhammad Ali, you know, rope-a-dope. You just kind of bury yourself like that. Or maybe we even like, you know, get into the fetal position. And we go into a defensive posture. Because we are scared and we don't want to be hurt. And we do different things, like we retreat oftentimes. And we just step back and we shrink back because we are afraid of ourselves. Or we protect ourselves so we don't get hurt. And what do we do? We put up walls around us. And it's all part of this posture over here where we're all shrunken into ourselves. Sometimes we shift into a control mode. Our idea is like, well, you know what? If I can plan for every contingency, I can make sure that everything goes okay, and then I don't have to be afraid because I've already planned for it. The problem with that is it moves us in a very negative direction. So every time we look at the future, we have this idea, well, it's all going to go bad, so i got to figure out what to do with it. And, and we get ourselves in trouble there. We become overprotective. Sometimes we come up with these long rules for safety's sake, for ourselves or for others, or we think that the the status quo is the safest way to go, right? Because that's familiar, and I'm okay with the familiar because I know how to deal with it, and I don't like the unfamiliar because I'm not quite sure what to do with it, and it might make me look bad, or it might make me put me in jeopardy. And so we become overly cautious, or we don't take risks. Sometimes we avoid conflict because we just are afraid of what it will open us up to. Or we become self-deprecating because if I can kind of be insulting of myself, well, then nobody else will expect too much from me or give me a hard time. And it's all this posture over here where I live my life kind of like this, like hoping that nothing bad happens. Some of us, though, we adopt the max posture, which looks something like this. Because if I can be big and scary enough, maybe you'll back off and leave me alone. This feels, this feels really good up here, by the way. <laughs> but we bare our teeth and we growl and we do try to make ourselves look better, get the hair on our back to stand up a little bit. It's the puffer fist approach, right? You know, puffer fishes, whenever they're in danger, they just blow themselves up to make themselves look bigger than what they are. And so we do that sometimes. We go on the offensive when we try to overwhelm the threat. You know, I have to establish dominance, or maybe I can intimidate you. And we have all kinds of ways that we do that. Sometimes we do that through bullying, and that itself can go in a lot of different directions, too. Sometimes we bully by just, you know, um, 
criticizing people. Sometimes we bully just by getting louder. Sometimes we bully people by asking a zillion questions and trying to back them into the corner. Sometimes, you know, we, we have all these everything. Sometimes we just ratchet up the rhetoric, right? And gosh, do we see this in our society today? We just get louder and louder and louder. And our hope is, I guess, that I'll intimidate the other person so that they will back off. Sometimes it's just where we just try to make ourselves look better. We're not really trying to be aggressive. But we get into the bragging or we get into the boasting or we tell stories about ourselves and we embellish and exaggerate to make ourselves look better. And we steal punchlines and and we name drop, right? I still remember that one time when I was talking to Billy Graham and he told me not to do that. Okay, that didn't work. But we become know-it-alls, and we have opinions, and we always have to be right, and we become judges of all things and all men. Or we become obsessed with appearances, right? And so, and so I have to, you know, get the right office, or I have to drive the right car, or I have to have the right titles, or the right diplomas on the wall. And all of this comes down to this insecurity. Where on one side we cower, and on another side we just like blow ourselves up and try to overwhelm people, and neither of those are good postures. In fact, if you assume either of those postures, you're going to do damage to your soul. The problem is that most of us do resort to one of these default positions, and sometimes we're a combination of both, but you probably have one or the other where if you're completely honest, you can see yourself. Now, I point these out for more than just the sake of making you aware. I think we need to be aware in ourselves of how we respond. Because if we can be aware of what we're doing, then we can be aware of this anxiety and this fear that we're doing, and then we can be aware of of what the root cause is, and we can go back and say, okay, what's going on inside me, and how do I address these things? And self-awareness of these things helps me to get to the core problem rather than managing the situation. But it also helps me to realize how I'm coming across to other people. That's important, right? Because if we're not careful, our own anxieties and our own insecurities, we transfer those on to other people and they pay the price for that. Either we can't, they can't get close to us or they get overwhelmed by us and we need to be aware of how we're coming across. It will also help you though to realize that somebody in your story is acting this way. Maybe we can give them a little grace and a little benefit of the doubt and say, Oh, you know what? They're just feeling insecure or anxious in the situation. And maybe we can try to put them at ease rather than react and respond back like we're so apt to do. Well, if this posture of retreating and folding up isn't good, and this posture over here of attacking and getting larger isn't good, what's the posture that we need to adopt? Well, we're going to get to that, and we're going to do that by looking at a story, or actually looking at a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And so I invite you to turn there, Second Timothy, and we're going to look in chapter 1. Because I think Timothy was a guy who had security or insecurity issues. In fact, I think Timothy was one of these guys who would have sat over here on this stool. And where he was a, had a tendency to retreat and, and, and to step back. In fact, I think he may have even been one of these guys who internalized everything so much that it, that it made him sick. Paul writes an interesting thing in 1 Timothy where he says, Hey, Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. You know, like your stomach's always upset. Here, try this. 
I wonder if it's not because, like some of us do, Timothy just kept internalizing it and it just churned inside of him. But he was definitely had a, a guy who had some problems with anxiety and insecurity. And by looking at what like, Paul says to him, we can learn what to do about the issues that we're facing in our soul. So as Paul writes this letter to Timothy, it, it really starts out, and you get the feel of it, it's like a pep talk. It's like Paul saying, hey, come on, Timothy. You know, don't don't live there in fear. Let, let's jump out of that. And the question that I think, I guess I start with, and I think it's interesting, Chris mentioned this too, is Timothy was in a, part, a tough place, but part of his toughness was in the role that, that he had. First of all, he was he was in a church that wasn't the easiest church with, with people to work with. He was following Paul, who was the guy who started the church, and he was he was young, and I think he was dealing with a lot of conflict. And he was a pastor. Now, I just mention that because you know I think one of the groups of people that struggle with the issues of insecurity the most are actually pastors. Does that surprise you? Well, we kind of just like stand on stage and bear our souls every week. And we're very vulnerable, and it's very hard. And we know that what we're supposed to be talking about, we're supposed to be the example of all that, right? And we know we're not. And so when I stand up here and say, well, don't be insecure, don't be anxious, and like I'm dealing with anxiety or insecurity, that's why I say what Chris said there was appreciated, because we're hesitant to do things like that, and we're looking for validation, it was interesting to me a while back, I was in a meeting with a pastor pastor who leads a super large congregation, and there was a break in the meeting, and I was out in the hall and and just ran across this pastor, and he looked at me and he said, and he was leading this meeting, he said, "Uh, how do you think I'm doing in there? (laughs) I'm like, really? Like thousands of people come and hear you every week, and you're asking me how you're doing? Because we deal with these issues, and I think Timothy deals with these issues as well. So let's look at what Paul says to him, and hopefully it will be helpful to us. Second Timothy 1, I'm going to start in verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve, Paul speaking here, as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I remember you in my prayers. Oh, I thank God for you. I'm remembering you in my prayers. I'm recalling your tears, but man, I long to see you so that I'll be filled with joy, because if we get together, I'm going to be happier for it. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, and I've seen it in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded it lives in you as well. And there's a ton of affirmation as we come into this book. This is Paul saying to Timothy, yeah, you got it, man. In fact, I love you, buddy. In fact, I wish we were together because we have have such great times when we're together, and I see so many good things in you. But I think it's a great reminder to us that every once in a while, We need a boost. Let me skip ahead here. Every once in a while, we need a boost. There's no scolding here at all in this letter. And so if you're struggling with anxiety or you're struggling with insecurity, there's no scolding here. That's a common position and a common situation to find yourself in. There's just encouragement. And Paul offers this encouragement, and he offers it by saying, hey, I wish I were with you. Hey, I see this in you, because I think it probably contrasted to some of the messages that Timothy was hearing. Hey, you're not doing it like Paul did it. Hey, you're not very old. I don't know if we should have been giving you this position. Hey, you're not handling this situation like you should be handling this. 
Or maybe it was even the things that he was saying to himself. It's like, gosh, I'm no Paul, am I? Or, wow, I didn't handle that one very well. Or, I have no clue what to do with this over here. And sometimes we just need that affirmation in our story to say, you know what? You're okay. We doubt ourselves, and maybe we should. But we need some affirmation. And this is what Paul is doing with the rest of this uh, passage here. And he's not just giving him uh, affirmation, though, that says, yeah, go, go, Timothy, we'll give you a trophy at the end here. He's giving him some very concrete things to lean into. And so that's what the rest of this is. It's a confidence boost for Timothy, but it can be for us. So listen in to what he has to say. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And he's saying this, be aware of the gift or the gifts of God, these unique gifts of God that he's given you. And this um, we talked about a little bit last week. We talked about... um soul sinking and knowing who you are so you can live in accord with who you are. But when we do that and we start looking at ourselves, we start to identify some strengths in us, but we also start to identify some weaknesses. Now, strengths can make us proud, but most of us don't have too much trouble with that. We have a tendency to go over here with the weaknesses and we start to feel bad about ourselves. But we need to back up and say, well, what are the strengths? What are the gifts that God has given you? And you need to be okay with what those gifts are because, you know, they may not be the same as everybody else. You don't see me up here singing on Sunday mornings. Every once in a while they leave my mic on and you hear me singing on Sunday mornings and it's not a good thing. My favorite was a few weeks ago, right, when I, I told you that, when I was just on in the, the uh, in-ear feeds of the band but not out here, so nobody knew it except the band, but the sound people didn't know it either. So the band had to listen to me through the whole worship time. God bless them. Aren't they great people? Okay. But you know, we have these strengths and weaknesses, and we need to realize it's okay to be broken, but we also need to look past that sometimes and say, you know, there's redemption and there's giftedness and there's power also, and there's a God behind it all who gives us gifts and gives us power. So don't be proud, but be aware of the gifts that God's given to you and work to develop those gifts, but it gets better. He goes on in verse number seven, he says, but God did not give us or you, Timothy, the spirit of timidity or of fear or of anxiety or of insecurity. But he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And he's saying this, you need to be aware of the presence of God in your story and the power of God in your story. So you have these gifts. That's a great start to give you a little bit more, you know, um, security, self-confidence. But we're going to add to that the fact that you've got God in your story. Look what he's doing. You're not out there on your own, Timothy. In fact, if you look, you can see him at work in your story. In fact, let's take it a a step further. You can see God's power at work too. So you're not on your own and you don't have to make it all happen. You've got God in your story behind you. So where do the messages of fear and anxiety come from? They come from the enemy's attacks on our soul. And we let him in and we let him talk to us. And he tells us, you know, you need to be worried about this or you need to be concerned about how this will turn out. Or, hey, you know that one person you have to deal with it tomorrow. You better be ready for it. Okay. That, according to Paul, is not coming from God. It's coming from elsewhere because God says, here, 
He says, I'm going to give you the resources you need to handle this. That's power. I'm going to help you get your eyes off yourself so you can see what needs to be done. That's love. And I'm going to give you the ability to make yourself do it. And that is self-discipline, which prepares us for this next step here. Verse number eight, don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And here's what he's saying with that statement. Step into your fear and step into your uncertainty. In fact, he's saying you can step into it and you can expect there to be suffering and hardship and pain, but don't be afraid of it. Get to the point where you can step into that and be okay with it. So where it doesn't determine and decide for you what you're going to do. Because that's what happens. The enemy comes with this anxiety. The enemy comes with this insecurity. The enemy comes with this fear. And we step back or we go into a reactionary mode and we don't do what we need to do. And it's one of the greatest tools he has for just stopping us. Because we... Don't go any further. And what Paul's saying to Timothy is don't let your fear decide what you do. You decide what you do and go do it knowing that you've got God's power and God's presence and God's gifting behind you. And so ultimately, what we choose to do in the face of fear is a statement about what we think about God. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But our response to Anxiety, fear, uncertainty is a revelation of our belief about God. Now, let me just say this before we go on. Sometimes when we face fear, we step back and don't do anything. That is a decision of itself. So it's not that we've done nothing. It's that we've chosen to not do what we should do. And as a result of that, sometimes we miss out on what was a possibility. And sometimes we live with the regrets that come with that, too. So don't let your fear stop you. Step into it. And don't give people or don't give circumstances undeserved power. When I shrink back from a person who may be trying to intimidate me over here, or if I shrink back from from a situation, those people or that situation have the power in the story. And the power needs to be God's power at work in my life. But when you intimidate me, then I'm letting you be strong. If I say, okay, wait a minute, I have God's power, love, sound mind in my life, then that changes the equation. And so don't give people or circumstances power that doesn't belong to them. Be okay to live with disapproval or be okay to live with opposition or be okay with things not going great without having to assume one of these positions over here. But this is where it gets even better. Paul goes on in verse number 8, But join with me in suffering with the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And he introduces here this idea of grace, and this is huge in this issue. He said, it's not what you do, and most of us find our security in what we do and how we perform, right? If I do this well enough, I feel good about myself. I feel competent. But hopefully you'll validate me in, you know, in the same way. And Paul's saying that's not where you find confidence. You find confidence in this idea of grace. And grace is this idea that God chooses you because of him and not because of you. 
That's pretty awesome to think of. That means that God loves you not on the basis of you or your performance, but on the basis of him and his love for you. And that's not going to change because it's not on you. And God doesn't go looking to say, are you competent? Are you confident? Are you any of these things? He's like, no, I want you regardless. And that's what gives us worth in our stories. Because I'm always worried about, am I good enough to know or to do what I need to do? Am I smart enough to think like I should smart, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Am I smart enough to think like I should think in this situation to figure it out? Do, do I have the, you know, the relational chops that I can handle myself in this relationship thing? And we keep measuring ourselves all the time. Do I, do I, do I, do I, do I? And Paul said, no, 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 grace says, does God. And it takes the scoreboard out of the picture. And it tells us that our worth is based on something else. It's the worth that God assigns to us. And he goes on, he says, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Now it's been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He said that the worst weapon of death, that's really what, I mean, if somebody's going to intimidate you, you know, pull out a gun and point it at you, right? That's as bad as it gets. And Paul's saying, you don't have to worry about that. God's already conquered death. In fact, he says um, he's brought immortality to light. There may be some plot twists along the way, but at the end, you're going to live forever anyhow. So relax a little bit. Verse 11, this gospel has appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And what he's saying here is, you know what? When I finally came to understand who I am and what God called me to do, I could relax in my person and in my soul. And then he goes on in this last verse, and this last verse is awesome. He says this, that is why I'm suffering as I am. I'm not ashamed. I'm not threatened. I'm not fearful. I'm not anxious or insecure. Even though circumstances are screaming at me that I should be. And here's why. Because I know whom I have believed. Whom is God? I've switched from thinking about me and worrying about me to focusing on God. I've believed him, and I'm convinced or I'm confident that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. So confidence is not a matter of trusting in ourselves. Confidence is a matter of trusting in God. And when I'm tempted to shrink back, I can say, wait, 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 time out. I don't have to be good enough or big enough or strong enough or whatever because I can just rest in God. And when I'm tempted to like push back over here because I'm threatened, I can say, oh, time out. I don't have to go that direction because I am secure in God. And that leads us to this soul practice. To finish up on here this morning, of finding our sufficiency, which is our abilities in life, and finding our security, which is our identity, in Christ, he accepts us and loves us no matter what. We don't have to prove ourselves to him or to anybody else. He accepts us, not on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of his grace. And we can make mistakes, and we will, and he's still okay with that. And we can do great things, and we will, but that's his grace that lets us do that. And we can just be not so much about ourselves, and we can rest in a third posture. And this is the posture that I want to encourage us with this morning. 
It's not that I sit here shriveled up or that I'm big. It's where I can just sit and go, I'm okay. Yeah, this is scary over here, but I'm going to be okay because, you know, God's got me. And, you know, I got this threat over here, but I'm okay because God's got me here. And I can just sit back and I can relax and not carry all of the tension or all of the tension that I carry in my soul. Because we've got nothing to fear because God is in control. So I can relax because of who he is and not who I am. And I can choose to believe this regardless. And so here's what I want to do this morning as we finish up. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to actually physically relax. So maybe you could feel the tension that's in you know, a lot of times in our shoulders especially. But take a few deep breaths this morning and see if you can physically get yourself relaxed. As you're doing that, your eyes are still closed. Ask yourself this question. Which is the posture that you normally choose? Are you one of those ones who kind of shrivels up in a ball? Or are you maybe more of those ones who kind of gets bigger because you feel threatened? Because I want you to say, you know what? I'm going to choose to let go of that posture. I'm just going to opt for posture number three here where I'm relaxed. And then I want you to identify any situations or relationships or whatever's going on in your life where you might feel threatened or stressed or overwhelmed or fearful or anxious or insecure right now. And I'm going to ask you to let it go and give it to God. And to say, God, I'm struggling here, but I want you to take this off of me and entrust it to him. Let me finish this morning, and you can look up now. With my paraphrase of this passage that we just worked through, and it was a letter to Timothy, but I want you to put your own name in here, and I want you to consider it a letter to you. So that top line is, my dear child, in my case, it would be Brent. But my dear child, whatever your name is, fill it in here, all right? You can read this along with me. My dear child, Brent, fight that tendency of yours towards fearfulness. God's been at work in your story. He's given you gifts to be used and to be shared. You have the Holy Spirit who can temper your timidity and replace it with power and love and with the determination to do what needs to be done. Sure, it will be hard, and you will likely suffer, but there's a bigger issue at play here. It's about Jesus and not you. He's in control, even of the fact that I'm in prison. Paul said he was God's prisoner. And he can handle any threat. He's already conquered death, and he gives grace. He's not waiting for you to perform or earn his help or be good enough. He accepts and affirms you as you are. It all comes down to this. What you believe. Me, I believe Jesus. And I am trusting him and entrusting myself to him. So my confidence, it's not self-confidence. It's God-confidence. You know, it's interesting when I walk my dog, his behavior changes. And all these threats, like squirrels and things like that, don't even seem to bother him. And even other dogs, 
He just kind of looks at them when we're walking. You know why? Because I'm with him. And he's trusting me to take care of him, which is a little bit funny. But you have a God who walks with you. His presence and his power is all with you. Let's relax into his grace. Let's pray this morning.